All right, hello everybody. Today is Wednesday, and on Wednesdays this year, I've been doing a regular segment about the Texarkana Moonlight Murders from 1946. This is the story of the Phantom Killer, a serial killer who remains unidentified to this day. He targeted lover's lanes, wearing a hood, and then deviated from the pattern on the final attack. People notice undeniable similarities between this case and the, the Zodiac Killer case, and if you would like to hear a bigger discussion that compares and contrasts these two cases. I did an episode last week called The Phantom Killer versus The Zodiac Killer Psychological Breakdown, and that's available here on this channel. And as always, you can like and subscribe. Two other really quick reminders. The first is that you can download this show for free at Launchpad 1. There's a link to that in the description box. And anyone who supports the show can do so at buymeacoffee.com. Also in the description box, you can find that link. And if you make a contribution, you will get a shout-out on Zodiac Monday. This is part of an ongoing series, but if you haven't heard the previous episodes, that's fine. You can keep listening. I always want the multi-part series to be made available to everyone who is checking them out. But I hope you'll go back and listen to the episodes about the first two attacks of the Phantom Killer. There's something that stands out in this mystery, and that is that there's a serial killer who operated in a very small amount of time. The attacks of the Phantom Killer took place between February 22nd and May 3rd of 1946. That is just over two months, maybe two and a half months, ten weeks. Very abnormal for a serial killer to start and stop completely during that time. So some people think that there could be something very odd going on. But another example of a serial killer with a very short reign of terror is Jack the Ripper, who operated from August 31st to November 9th of 1888. And the point that I always bring up is that Jack the Ripper operated in the summer and the fall, August 31st to November 9th, and the Phantom Killer is operating from February 22nd to May 3rd, the winter and the spring. Jack the Ripper's in the summer and the fall, the Phantom Killer is in the winter and the spring. Was the Phantom Killer directly inspired by Jack the Ripper? It's possible, but the crimes are done in a very different nature. Jack the Ripper mutilated the bodies of the victims, whereas the Phantom Killer did get very physical with the victims, but definitely not the gruesome mutilations that the Ripper performed. So, to discuss the third attack, I think that this is perhaps the most famous um, case because it involves the murder of a girl named Betty Jo Booker, and some people think that she is the most famous victim of the Phantom Killer, to provide the most basic introduction. At around 1.30 a.m. on Sunday, April 14th, Paul Martin, age 17, picked up Betty Jo Booker, age 15, from a musical performance at the VFW Club at West 4th and Oak Street. Martin's body was found around 6.30 a.m. later that morning, lying on his left side, by the northern edge of North Park Road. Blood was found on the other side of the road by a fence. He had been shot four times through the nose, through the ribs from behind, in the right hand, and on the back of the neck. Booker's body, that's Betty Jo Booker, was found by a search party at about 11.30 a.m., almost two miles, or 3.2 kilometers, from Martin's body. Her body was behind a tree, lying on her back, fully clothed. She was posed with the right hand in a pocket, of a buttoned overcoat. Booker had been shot twice, once through the chest and once in the face. The weapon that was used was the same as in the first double murder, a thirty-two caliber automatic Colt pistol. 
Martin's car was found 3 miles, or 4.8 kilometers, from Booker's body, and 1.55 miles, or 2.49 kilometers, away from his body. He was parked outside Spring Lake with the key still in it. The authorities were not sure who was shot first. Sheriff Presley and Texas Ranger Captain Manuel Gonzalez said that the examinations of the bodies indicated that they both had put up a terrific struggle. Martin's friend, Tom Albritton, said that he did not believe an argument had happened between the victims and that Martin did not have any enemies. And I think that definitely goes to show you that the Phantom Killer seems like someone who is cold, methodical, and calculating because he is going after people, perhaps for his own reason. Now, in the first episode that I did, talking about the uh, first attack on Jim Hollis, there is the possibility that there was a direct connection between the victims and the Phantom Killer, and that was explored um, by even the authorities at the time. They thought that both of the victims, the male victim and the female victim in the first attack, knew who the perpetrator was, but they were covering for him. But in this case, the victims are separated in a very great distance, and what does that mean? Does that mean that it was, it was very difficult for the killer to commit this murder, or did the killer intentionally move the victims? But I think that one point um, is very, uh, very important, and that is that the same firearm was used, because not to go off on some giant Zodiac killer spiel, but the Zodiac is using different firearms every time, and the Phantom Killer seems to have been using the same firearm, the uh, thirty-two caliber uh, that I just said. So that's one of the reasons why I think any type of hoax theory does not seem to come up very, very quickly. Because, I mean, in the Phantom Killer case, I really have not heard any solid hoax theory where some point one is saying, oh, there had to have been multiple perpetrators, or there had to be this unconnected group of people I'm just not seeing those particular statements. But um, I do think that this is one where people will really try to incorporate the uh, prime suspect, Yule Swinney. Yule Swinney was a car thief, and when he was arrested for stealing cars, he told the authorities very famously, I'm going to get the chair. You've got me for a lot more than stealing cars. But how does he get tied to the murder of Betty Jo Booker. Well, Betty Jo Booker was a musician. As you heard, they were leaving from a musical performance. And I would cite um, a lot of the discussions from John Tennyson, Jeremy Kennington, and even James Presley in this. When, okay, so Betty Jo Booker is leaving from a musical performance, and she played the saxophone. And Yule Swinney was interrogated by the police, but so was his wife. And I don't often tell this full story, but it is that Betty Jo Booker's saxophone was thrown over a fence, and it would have been on the right side of the road. And Yule Swinney's wife was able to tell the authorities that exact detail, that the killer, if it were indeed her husband, took Betty Jo Booker's saxophone and threw it over the fence on the right side of the road. That is something that only the real killer should have known or perhaps the police, some facts that only the killer and the police would know, right? So doesn't that just mean that Yule Swinney was the phantom killer? Well, the researcher, Jeremy Kennington, has heavily challenged this by saying that the location of Betty Jo Booker's saxophone could have been obtained by Yule Swinney's wife in other ways. 
She was interrogated four different times by 12 different police officers, and she had an attorney who should have had that knowledge, and that is probably how she learned it, and why she's trying to vilify her husband. Um, I'm not a therapist or a marriage counselor, so I'm not touching that one with a 10-foot pole, but um, I think you can get the idea, meaning that that does not immediately indicate that Yule Swinney was guilty of this. So um, I'd like to go to um, the Criminal Minds page that actually has a section on the second double murder of the Phantom Killer, the murders of Paul Martin and Betty Jo Booker. On April 14th, another double murder occurred. The victims were Betty Jo Booker, age 15, a saxophone player, and her friend Paul Martin, age 16. They were found within three miles from Martin's Ford Coupe, which was parked outside Spring Lake, and the keys were still in it. Paul's body was found at around 6.30 a.m. and was lying on the northern edge of North Park Road. He was shot four times. Betty, whom was found five hours later than Paul, was lying behind the trees, clothed, and her right hand was inside one of her pockets. And as we said, that was in a coat or an overcoat of sorts. She was shot twice, once through the chest and once in the face. The weapon used was a thirty-two caliber Colt automatic pistol. Betty's saxophone was eventually recovered six months later in the nearings of the spot where her body was found, as I said, over the fence on the right side of the road. A, ro a reward was again posted by the authorities, and rumors circulated regarding the apprehension of the murderer, which were later denied by Captain Gonzalez. The further attacks made the press nickname the murderer as the Phantom Killer. And this one even features a uh, an article from the Texarkana Gazette saying, Murder rocks city again, farmer slain and wife wounded. Well, that will be the next attack, the murder of Virgil Starks. But to focus on the murder of Betty Jo Booker and Paul Martin, there was an anniversary post that was written for them by TXKToday.com. Only gathering that that means Texarkana. Phantom Killer brings terror to Texarkana 74 years ago tonight. 16-year-old Paul Martin and 15-year-old Betty Jo Barker were killed 74 years ago, that was written in 2017, at the entrance to Spring Lake Park. Although they were not the first victims of the Phantom Killer, their attack was when people started realizing there was a serial killer loose in Texarkana. On February 22, 1946, Jimmy Hollis and his girlfriend Mary Jean LeRae were attacked and beaten while parked on a secluded road known as a Lover's Lane. The attack happened near where Cowhorn Creek intersects with Richmond Road. Mary Jean LeRae ran to the house at 805 Blanton Street, and the homeowner called the police. Both Jimmy and Mary Jean survived the ordeal. As I said, those were the ones who said that, or the authorities questioned whether or not they actually knew the identity of the Phantom Killer. The next attack was Richard L. Griffin and Polly Ann Moore, and they were the victims of the killer, and the first to be killed. They were found dead on March 24th of 1946 in Griffin's Park car on at South Robinson Road, 100 yards south of Highway 67. Both had been shot in the back of the head and were fully clothed. In March of, two in March of 1946, the Texarkana Gazette announced, You can help solve murders. And... I think, that though, that something that is really quite odd is that once the general public is finally becoming aware of the true aspects of the Phantom Killer, the Phantom Killer is going to deviate from his pattern in the next crime and attack Virgil Stark's farmhouse. So, the movie The Town That Dreaded Sundown that was made in the 1970s talks about this very clearly by saying that, all right, the killer knew 
that the authorities were going to be patrolling lovers' lanes, and they even set up decoys that were going to be sitting out in cars and secluded areas to try and apprehend the killer. So, is that just what the killer did, deviate from the pattern to avoid getting caught? Sheriff Bill Presley and his deputies had a difficult task ahead of them as they attempted to solve a shocking double murder discovered on Sunday morning. Texarkana residents can help in the investigation, and at the time, if they are not careful, they can hinder the investigation and cause the officers to spend many hours following blind trails. Persons who have information might furnish a clue to the identity of the slayer or slayers, or which might not indicate a motive for the crime and should not divulge such information on street corners or at cold drink stands. Ah, the lovely verbiage of the 1940s, at the cold drink stand, damsel, but should immediately make it available to the officers. Do not spread rumors regardless of how much basis for fact there is in them. Well, even I'm guilty of some of that here on Black Box Online Radio. Do not say, I heard, or they say, because the chances are that that person will be listening and will repeat your information and enlarge upon it. Oh my gosh, whoever wrote this deserves a Nobel Prize, I kid thee not. Before long, the story grows to such proportions as to necessitate a detailed investigation by the officers. Therefore, perhaps, pulling them off the true trail and sending them up a blind alley, stick to the facts that you know of your own personal knowledge and relay those facts as quickly as possible to the officers. The next attack was the killing of Martin and Booker, Paul Martin and Betty Jo Booker, on the night of April 13th that went into the morning of April 14th. Martin's body was found at about 6.30 a.m., and Martin's body was found on his left side. He had been shot four times, once through the nose and again through the fourth rib, and a third time in the hand and finally through the back of the neck. Booker's body was not found until approximately 11.30 a.m., almost two miles away from Martin's body. And what do you think was exactly happening? I mean... Some people, I mean, I'm probably going to think that the killer was uh, trailing her in some ways. And then other people even responded in the comment sections already on Black Box All Night Radio saying that they thought that the killer was intentionally moving the bodies to create confusion. Texarkana is a border town. There's Texarkana, Texas, and Texarkana, Arkansas. It's right on the border. There's an Arkansas side and a Texas side. So there's a publication out there called Two States Press that is addressed here in this article from txktoday.com. On May 9th of 1946, the Two States Press weekly paper published on Thursdays announced that the Texarkana people are jittery, being frightened within a reason. Within a period of six weeks, five people have been murdered in cold blood and a sixth seriously wounded, escaping death by a seeming miracle. But um, even, I, as you guys already know by now, the first two victims actually survived, so it's not one survivor. The question in the minds of most citizens is, when, where, and how soon will another tragedy shock the community, and who will be the victim or victims since two deaths seem to be the design of the killer? Um, It really does seem like this is happening by design. And some people think that the Phantom Killer was going out on an average of once every two weeks. And that is some very, very bizarre stuff because, as I said, that shows that there is calculation, but not an enormous amount of calculation. These crimes are heavily premeditated, but not extremely premeditated like someone who is, I don't know, drawing radiant angles on a map and trying to make it all line up. It seems like the serial killer is trying to commit them, not get caught, and... There is a particular motive. It could be heterosexual animosity. It could be some type of releasing of trauma. 
Or it could be that this person was simply stationed in the Texarkana area for a period of three months, and they thought that they, if they could commit these crimes without getting caught, then it was their opportunity to commit a crime spree. So many things are possible. And um, openly, like the, the, this article states the exact thing that I would say next. No one was ever charged as the Phantom Killer, although throughout the investigation almost 400 suspects were arrested. And um, I really uh, do have to give credit, though, to TXToday.com, and this article was written by Field Walsh, once again published in 2015, just citing the source. The next article that I would like to respond to is one from UnsolvedCasebook.com, and this one is a little bit more recent, but it shared some details about the first attack on Jimmy Hollis and Mary Jean LeRae that I hadn't um, used in my first episode on, for this new series. And again, they are a couple in a car on a lover's lane. And it says that the couple had scarcely had time to begin making out and enjoying an intimate moment when their night of passion was brought to an, and brought to a, a shuddering halt. A dark figure peered through the window with a white cloth hood covering his face and rough holes cut out for the eyes and a pistol in hand, the figure made his first demand. Come out of the car now, he said. I mean, just hearing these quotations of the killer's exact words, I'm really wondering where they got them from. Worried they might be shot if they failed to comply, Jimmy and Mary did as they were ordered. Mary told the antagonist he would take all the money, and the killer said, Do as I say, and I won't hurt you. Ah, so that is so reminiscent of the Zodiac Killer at Lake Berryessa. All I want is your money. Although this killer isn't asking for the money. But I think this goes to show you that a killer is going to try and put the victims in a false sense of security because he doesn't want them to run. He doesn't want them to do anything other than just be completely obedient. And it's power assertive, absolutely. But mostly, it appears that if these quotations are true... This killer is just trying to get the victims to stay where they are so he can have access to try and harm them. But I um, I, I just am so like overwhelmed by the um, similarities between the Zodiac and the Phantom Killer. That's why I've always said, ever since I learned about the Phantom Killer for the first time, that I think that the Zodiac Killer of the 1960s was inspired by the Phantom Killer of the 1940s. But um, this website, unsolvedcasebook.com, does have a segment on Betty Jo Booker and Paul Martin. On April 14th of 1946, which was Palm Sunday that year, G.H. Weaver and his family were driving along North Park Road when they spotted a man laying on the shoulder of the road. The man's clothing was covered in blood. The Weaver family quickly alerted the authorities of their discovery. The victim was soon identified as Paul Martin, a former Texarkana resident. Barton now lived in Kilgore, Texas, and was only visiting for the weekend with his parents. He had been shot four times, once in the neck and once in the shoulder and once in the hand and one in the face. Actually, this one leaves out the detail that he was shot in the ribs, that um, the fourth rib, like the uh, previous one stated, and the other posts have stated. The early investigation soon discovered that Paul Martin hadn't been alone the previous night. The day before, he had arranged to meet Betty Jo Booker from a dance where she was playing her saxophone for a local band called the Rhythmers, the Rhythmers, Rhythmers, R-H-Y-T-H-M-A-I-R-E-S, Rhythmers, I think that would be the best way to pronounce it. Witnesses saw the two leave the party at around 2 a.m., but Betty Jo Booker hadn't made it home. 
and I also would be quite curious about that timeline. For some reason, um, I'm just recalling the time that they think that the either they left around 1 a.m. and the attack would have occurred somewhere before 2 a.m., but I don't really want to get bogged down on the details. A frantic search for Betty Jo Booker six hours after Paul's body was found, and Betty Jo was found as well. The worst fears of everyone was realized when the body of Betty Jo was located behind a tree in the woods near Fernwood. She was fully clothed and laying on her back with her hand placed in the right pocket of her coat. Found almost two miles away from where Paul was discovered, Betty Jo had died from two gunshot wounds after a struggle. There was no evidence that Paul had put up a fight. Oh, excuse me, I completely misread that. There was also evidence that Paul had put up a fight. Yes, because I think that is something that they are noticing, that both victims put up a fight. And here is something about the Phantom Killer. The Phantom Killer is confrontational. There are two ways of looking at this. The first is that the Phantom Killer is a little bit sloppy. The Phantom Killer isn't trying to subdue the victims in a way, or render the victims in, in a putting them in, an, in a vulnerable state where they are defenseless. He's not trying to tie them up before he is attacking them. He is not trying to leave them incapacitated in some way. The, the Phantom Killer is very confrontational. And I think that that's the second point. The Phantom Killer is not afraid of getting confrontational. I mean, you could interpret that two ways. One of them is just he's some type of sloppy guy who isn't planning very well. And, or the second one could be is that he's not afraid of getting into a fist fight with the victims. Whereas uh, some serial killers absolutely are, and they will only attack people when they are in defenseless situations. So Betty Jo had died from two gunshot wounds after the struggle, and there was also evidence that Paul had put up a fight. One of the two shots was to the face, and the second went through her chest, with some reports saying that the bullet hit her heart. There's also evidence that Betty Jo Booker had been raped. Um, well, that is something that really hasn't been shared too much, although this information was kept from the press. Well, but it was stated very clearly that sexual assault did take place during the first attack when both the victims survived the attacks on Jimmy Hollis and Mary Jean Leray. Paul Martin's car, a 1946 Ford Club Coupe, was finally traced. It had been abandoned with the key still inside it at the entrance of Spring Lake. This was about a mile and a half from the spot where Paul's body was found. Latent prints were retrieved from the scene, including one from the steering wheel, it was discovered that the print did not belong to either victim or anyone who would have used the vehicle. Like Betty Jo Booker's rate, the fingerprint and information about the bullet casings found at the scene, thirty-two caliber, as found at the Griffin Moore crime scene, were kept from the press. Police linked the two double murders quickly, which was confirmed conclusively when ballistics revealed that casings were found at the scene and they were from the same gun. I mean, that strongly suggests that, yes, indeed, it is the same killer. I mean, we have the same MO, same operation, as well as the same style of crimes, the same confrontational behavior, and the same gun. It really does seem like there is a single killer. They also realized the attack on Jimmy Hollis and Mary Jean LeRae back in February was highly likely the work of the same maniac. Police had no idea how Paul Martin's car ended up where it was found. Betty Jo and Paul were not believed to be romantically involved, so they didn't believe it was for a romantic liaison. Uh, no comment on that. They couldn't find no reason why the teens would have been at Spring Park Lake. Had they been lured there or forced to the location? Well, I think that that would be a little bit much, and I think that's almost just um, wheel spinning or mental gymnastics. 
even if they aren't romantically involved. Sometimes people, especially teenagers, can go someplace at night together and they have casual conversations. It's not unheard of. Had the killer driven him driven the had the killer himself driven the car to the entrance where it was discovered after the murders? I mean really that could be quite possible. At this point, the decision was made, and the highly respected Texas Ranger Lone Wolf Manuel Gonzalez was placed on the case. Gonzalez issued the following bulletin as part of his first acts. Wanted for murder, person or persons unknown for the murder of Betty Jo Booker and Paul Martin on or about April 13th of 1946, although, as we said, the crime carried over into April 14th, in Bowie County, Texas, subject or subjects may have in their possession or may try to dispose of a gold-plated Bundy E-flat alto saxophone 52535, which was missing from the car in which the victims were last seen. This saxophone had just been rebuilt and replated and repatted, and was in an almost new black leather case with blue plush lining. It is requested that a check be made of music stores and pawn shops, any information as to the location of the saxophone or the description and whereabouts of the person connected with it should be forwarded immediately to the sheriff at Bowie County, Texarkana, Texas, and the Texas Department of Public Safety in Austin. But, um, as we heard uh, very clearly from the earlier part of the episode, Betty Jo Booker's saxophone would be located, albeit it would be some time later, quite a quite, quite a bit of time would pass before they would locate it, and then um, there's that whole story about the prime suspect, Ewell Swinney. Police may have had no name for the man who was sending the wave of terror throughout Texarkana, but the press soon did. During the reporting on the most recent attack, the murders of Betty Jo Booker and Paul Martin, the killer was labeled the Phantom by the Texarkana Gazette. It was a name that stuck and in some ways only helped to build the rising hysteria within the community. With the Texarkana Phantom murders now very much public knowledge, doors that were once left unlocked and were now bolted shut, and happy greetings to strangers were now replaced with suspicious glances, and at nightfall, the sounds of children still playing was replaced with an eerie silence and as you uh, i'm sure know that's why they call it the town that dreaded sundown law enforcement stalked the lovers lanes in secluded spots and where young teens where young teens and couples would go to be alone in hopes of catching the culprit while they were seeking him in total over 300 possible suspects were questioned one by one and they were let go without charge despite the best attempts of the community to stay safe Another attack was just weeks away, less than a month after the murder of Paul Martin and Betty Jo Booker. Fear within the area would be intensified. And this, of course, we'll talk about the murder of Virgil Starks, which I'll focus on for the next segment in this new series on, on the Phantom Killer. But what do you think is the real motive for the Phantom Killer to commit these types of actions? What do you think is driving this person? Do you think that this is some cold, methodical, and calculating serial killer? Or do you think that this is a younger person who is just struggling with mental illness and responded to his feelings of rejection and loneliness in a very inappropriate way? Because I think you could make a fair case for either one, and I definitely lean toward the latter, that this is somebody who is unable to form close relationships and I mean, it doesn't appear that anything like robbery is the primary motive or anything such as um, 
even sexual assault is the primary motive. It really seems like this person is trying to bring terror upon the town of Texarkana, and they want to do something horrific, going out with the hooded costume. But there is a theory out there that the Phantom Killer was actually a German prisoner of war. 1946, this is right after World War II, and the German prisoner of war would have um, just tried to wreak havoc on the town because, well, he was a former prisoner of war. And um, I think that the motive would almost go without saying to someone attacking at opportune times. And I've always been curious about that. I don't know how likely that theory is. But you can weigh in in the comments section down below and really respond to the challenge question. Why do you think these attacks were taking place? Is it sexual assault? Is it sim as simple as that? That someone is giving in to their own twisted sexual desires? Is it rejection and loneliness that this person feels like an outsider so he wants to wreak havoc on people who have relationships and he doesn't? Or is it something like the German prisoner of war? He just wants to destroy the town, but do it in a very sneaky and covert way. Is that what's actually happening? Please say anything you want about the motive and respond to any of the details that have been shared in this episode. And I thank you again to that, uh, that article from unsolvedcasebook.com. I think that they uh, got a little bit... Um, elastic on some of the facts, for lack of a better term, but I do appreciate the um, analytical statements that they put in there. And anybody can write the show at blackboxonlineradio at AWOL.com. You can also get me on Facebook. My personal Facebook is in the description box. And there was always blackboxnet88 over on Instagram. And don't forget about the channel Astro Psych 400. And I will be doing a very special episode of Astro Psych 400 this Thursday, which will be coming out tomorrow for anyone who's listening to this live. And if you're listening to this in the future, feel free to visit Astro Psych 400. It is the home of the podcast for sleep, as well as other videos that I've just talked about psychology, personality traits, human behavior. Some of the older episodes are about astrology. You can just explore the mind, consciousness, and the spirit of humanity. Why not? Okay, so I will see you over there, and until next time.